Inflation's at a 40-year high, the market's feeling shaky, and we're just coming out of one of the biggest health scares of our lifetime. But let me share some good news. I'm Chris Herline, wealth manager and host of Wealth Radio on News Radio KLBJ. The successful families we work with at Reap Financial are still able to set their retirement dates with a high degree of confidence that they'll succeed. Want to know why they're so confident? Get your hands on our retirement planning checklist now. Just drop me an email, chris at wealthradio.com, and put checklist in the subject line. That's chris at wealthradio.com. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. President Biden was in Brownsville today. Former President Trump was in Eagle Pass, and a judge here in Austin put the new Texas law regarding the arrest of illegal immigrants on hold. This is a federal judge who put out the ruling And this is Senate Bill 4. It was scheduled to take effect next Tuesday, giving Texas law enforcement the authority to arrest people who cross the border illegally. That is outside of the ports of entry. And then they would be uh, taken before a judge and given a choice. You can agree to be deported to Mexico or you get six months in jail. But all of that is on hold. The judge said Texas did not present any evidence that a military invasion is underway And he said that this would do grave, irreparable harm to the federal government and its ability to enforce border laws and immigration laws. That's exactly the problem. The federal government isn't enforcing border laws and immigration laws. And that's why Texas needed to step up and do something. it It seems pretty simple to me. I know I'm not a judge or know all the laws on all of this. But it seems pretty simple to me. We have told the federal government that they are in charge of the border and enforcing laws. They have chosen not to do that. And it is the states that have to bear the consequence and the burden of them not enforcing it. And here this judge is saying, oh, well, you just have to do it. That's just part of it. And I, don't, I the state should. When a federal Government and, and it's not that they're just not. They've chosen not to enforce it. They've chosen to create this problem that we now have. And now you're saying, well, the states have no recourse. Uh, the judge did say uh, he would wait one day before putting this order into effect and give Texas a chance to file an appeal. We anticipate Texas. Abbott will. already said, yep, going to do it. Okay. Because they'd like to get this all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, if they can. Mm -hmm. Here are the numbers. You can join us with your thoughts, 512-836-0590. Call or text us to join the conversation. Uh, This is, where did my sheet go with the Biden and Trump comments? Let's play a couple of the things that the president had to say in Brownsville. Uh, Okay, these are all Trump cuts right now. We'll keep looking for some of those. We'll get to those coming up in just a minute. Uh, Trump was there with Governor Abbott in Eagle Pass. Uh, President Biden was in Brownsville. He had a lot of local Democrat county officials with him and some people from the Border Patrol at his news conference. And he said, look, I need for the Republicans in the House to grow a spine and get on board with this on this bipartisan bill to work on the U.S. border. In comparison, Trump had a lot of local people 
Yes. <laughs> as well as uh, some, he had some in the Texas National Guard, along with Governor Abbott and some of the DPS that were there. And he said Biden created this chaos. All right. 512-836-0590. You can weigh in with your thoughts. Did you see a report that uh, the state attorney general is now suing yet another Texas public school district, accusing them of breaking electioneering laws? I did not see whether or not he is going to file on this, but Texas Scorecard is reporting that they have been told about another school district. This time it is Castleberry Independent School District, where a superintendent there instructed the district's administrative leadership team to vote according to a voter guide from the Castleberry ISD Retired Teachers Association. That voter guide, it pretty much laid out and divided the candidates by legislators for us and then those that are challenging Abbott slash Paxton. They said, let's show up to the polls and vote for those those for us in and those against us out. Okay. Uh, and, And just... I mean, they and they went down the list. They covered the legislative seats up for vote, vote the state board of education primary, um, and told them who to vote, advised them who to vote for over the challenger. And this list was forwarded to retirees, teachers, and essential workers who are for us. And the superintendent was the one that sent this out. Well, and this is the third or fourth example in recent days where this has been reported either by Texas Attorney General Paxton or the Texas Scorecard, where public school districts appear to be breaking state law, using taxpayer resources to coach people on how to vote in an upcoming election. And this all ties in to the battles that are shaping up in the primaries next week for the Republicans You have incumbent House members who voted against parental choice in the last session, and then you have candidates who are challenging them, and they're being backed by Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Ken Paxton, and those are candidates who want parental choice in Texas. So these school districts are fighting against parental choice. Listen, they can have their own personal opinion. You just can't use the district email or your position at the district to tell your staff who to vote for. Right. Whether it's an individual candidate or on an issue, that's just prohibited by law. You can't use taxpayer resources for that purpose. Well, and I'm reading in this, and I don't know if it may have been in the other stories that we've talked about on this, but the the individuals, these educators that are sending this, the TEA can revoke their cert, cert, uh, certifications. And they should. And they should. But imagine that. You, to be a superintendent, you've gone through a lot of school. You have worked your way up through the school district to get to that level. And you're willing to throw it away because you want to tell someone how to vote? Well, they've lost their sense of judgment at a minimum, if they're going to this extent, to use taxpayer resources to coach people on how to vote on these key issues. You can be passionate on your own time, but don't use the taxpayer's resources for this purpose. Because there are taxpayers 
who disagree with your stance on this. They support parental choice. And they don't want their vote nullified by your use of tax, their own money used against them. Well, and not only that, some of the staff may not agree with you. Just yes. because you're all in education doesn't mean you all think alike. 512-836-0590 to join the discussion. We're live and local. Mark and Melinda, 511 News Radio, KLBJ. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. 515, Tiger is here producing, and Melissa is with us. Good afternoon, Melissa. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Welcome. Hope you're doing well. What are your thoughts, Melissa? Well, I quit teaching um, last year. And I just wanted to let you know, superintendents are all about politics and moving on to the next bigger and baddest thing. Not only did our superintendent one time come in, have a faculty meeting and tell us how we should vote. It wasn't like, I mean, they even gave you a pamphlet. They actually went a step further and would send out emails saying, if you haven't voted, we've checked and you need to go vote. Wow. And then they came to the school and asked every teacher, have you voted? Have you voted? Have you voted? When he got to me, I said, I don't live in this district. I said, I teach here in this town, but I don't live here. And then he, he just got all, you know, like, Ugh, and walked off. And then my coworkers who did live in town got an email saying, we checked the registrations and you haven't voted yet. And it would be to your best interest to go vote on this proposition. And I've had two superintendents that have done that. Goodness gracious. I, I, yeah, I thought it was highly offensive. Several teachers got really irritated and were like, I mean, they can't see how you voted, but the fact that you would even check to make sure I voted was totally offensive. Like, I, both schools I worked at, teachers were just so upset about that. And they do. They rub it in your face. And what was really disgusting is they were pushing a bond and they promised, oh, this is how much is going to go to this. This is what we're going to do for this. The bond passed, the person that was supposed to get elected in town, all that passed and everything, and then they changed everything they were going to spend the money on, and they gave it all to athletics. Uh, That is such intimidation, though, to to go and say, first to to call a meeting and say this is how you should vote, and then to add to that, we will be checking to make sure you vote. That's not presenting a good work environment. Even if people agree with you, that still is an intimidation factor to go and vote. Oh, yes. They, and I've had it happen to me at two different schools. And one of them flat out asked me, did you vote for this person? And I, I looked at them and I said, it really is none of your business. And so then I was kind of like on the not a good person list but until that superintendent left. But, uh, yeah, no, they will pressure the teachers. They will pressure the teachers to tell their family members, the community. They will they you would be surprised. These superintendents are slimy. Mm. Uh, Melissa, thanks for checking in and weighing in with that. 512-836-0590. That sounds like a violation of state law. Absolutely. Um, And I'm just going to throw this out there in case this is going on now. You can report this to the Texas Ethics Commission for them to look into if you're getting 
any of these emails from your school district if you are an employee there. Mm -hmm. Because this really should not be happening. No one should ever tell you how to vote or try to persuade you or intimidate you into voting the way that they want you to. Yeah. To suggest that your job may be in jeopardy if you don't vote and vote the way they want you to vote, that should be reported and investigated. Mick is calling from Dallas, 518. Mick, you're on KLBJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Happy to talk to you guys. Welcome aboard. Nice to hear from you, Mick. Thank you. So I've got a question for you because I'm a little bit perplexed. I'm getting ready to vote. And, of course, you know, we're getting into the early piece here. And I'm getting ads down here about a guy named Dwayne something or other. I can't remember his last name. But they claim in the ads that the school vouchers were blocked because there was a group in Arizona, and I guess they're doing school vouchers there, and this group was able to take them and give them to illegal immigrants that have come here over the border and instead of their regular uh, school classes. And so this is why we're supposed to vote for this person and these others. But I remember, I guess it got shot down. My recollection was it was Republicans. Abbott wasn't happy about it. Then we were supposed to have a special session to go back to it, and it just kind of quietly went away. So do you have any ads running down there for various candidates on, I guess, your counterparts that are kind of towing this line about why they killed the vouchers? No, I haven't seen anything to that effect. No references to Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't seen any news reports or anything about that, Mick. Yeah, it's all over the radio and television up here. Yeah, the only thing that I can remember about Arizona being mentioned in the same breath as school vouchers is is that they have it. And all of the things that the proponents of the vouchers have said uh, would happen hasn't occurred in Arizona. Well, I just find it finally would be able to do that because it was my understanding it was a state thing, kind of like, I guess for a better term, our version of the 529 college thing, where we would have accounts, the taxpayer money would go into it, and then, of course, we would go take that money and give it to whatever school or public or private that we wanted to do. So I don't see how they could have taken that away that way. Yeah, I'm not not familiar with that. Uh, Mick, thank you. Have a good afternoon. We appreciate your listening in Dallas, 512-836-0590. Also in the news, in Albuquerque, parents are suing a public school district and a teacher. And I'm just going to play the full KOAT news package here and let you hear this. This is Channel 7 News in Albuquerque reporting on this lawsuit about what they say happened in a public high school classroom and the result that followed from what the teacher did in that classroom. And then we'll get your thoughts on all of this. Uh, Here is that report from Albuquerque. Swords clinking as students take each other on in a makeshift classroom arena, all at the instruction of their teacher. It was just total shock. What's not as shocking is what happened next when a student got a deep cut and had to go to the emergency room. Not only did this teacher and APS not protect this child, but actively put her in harm's way, actively created this danger and put deadly weapons right into these students' hands. And exactly what could reasonably be anticipated is what happened. Jessica Hernandez is one of the attorneys representing that student's grandparents who are now suing the district and the teacher they say is responsible. 
According to the lawsuit, the teacher told the students she had a surprise that day and brought out two swords. The suit says she put on a timer, had them clear away the desks, and ordered them to take turns fighting each other. Which attorneys say is captured on this cell phone video taken by the victim right before she was selected to fight. You can see students laughing and fighting with swords, while the teacher, seen here in the gray shirt, looks on. We don't know what was going through her mind. We have. No idea what would cause a teacher to think this was a good idea. According to an incident report, the assistant principal claimed the teacher had brought the swords to discuss the science of metal and melding, but answered no when asked if the injury violated school rules. The assistant principal is also named in the lawsuit. The incident report that he filled out really seems like it's trying to deflect responsibility away from the district to sweep this under the rug rather than doing a thorough investigation to find out exactly why and how one of their students had been so seriously hurt. The cut severing nerves and requiring the student to get surgery. Her attorney says she has lasting permanent damage. Job prospects are now off the table for her. She'll never be able to use her dominant hand the way that she used to. Hoping the lawsuit brings accountability to the district and teacher involved. This is the school district's most important charge, right? Protect our kids. And that did not happen here. Annalisa Pardo, KRQE News 13. We're seeing some crazy things in the news these days coming out of some schools. This may be at the top of the list now, bringing swords in and having the kids engage in sword fights in the classroom. What I did not hear is that this teacher has been charged with endangering children. There's no mention of that. I've looked at a couple of versions of this story. So are we to believe that there's been no charges against this teacher? Apparently not. At least I haven't seen it in two different stories covering this. That that should stop. Who th- This poor little girl that had her hand cut while doing this, the parents need to file charges against this teacher for endangering their daughter. Yes. Not only that, I don't know what the charge would be, but I'm sure there is one. For not getting her help immediately. They waited 30 minutes before they called 911. Mm-hmm. That is reprehensible. That's egregious right there. Just that one aspect of this story is reprehensible. And and I, if you watch the video, you can see the kids oh, yeah. lunging at each other. They're, they're fighting with real swords. It's, it's not a leap to think that one of them could have become overly aggressive and run the sword completely right through, through another kid and kill them. And I'm just, I'm baffled that the school district seems okay with this, as if it's normal curriculum that they teach every single year. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Hiding behind a claim of privacy, we can't comment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, What are your thoughts? 512-836-0590. Tony is calling from Temple. Mark and Melinda, good afternoon, Tony. How are you? Oh, better than I deserve. How are y'all? Doing very well, Tony. Thank you. Um, so I was just calling in about, like, uh, these school districts persuading, like, uh, voters and teachers and whatnot. Um, so first off, my wife's a teacher around these parts, not in the Temple School District. But um, anyhow, my oldest daughter just got inducted to the National Honor Society. And um, during the induction, the the keynote speaker was Representative Hugh Shine, who voted against 
Governor Abbott's um, the school voucher program, and uh, the superintendent, who's a Democrat, Dr. Ott, um, he mentioned during the introduction to Hugh Shine um, that we should all go vote for him, even though we might have political differences because he had voted against Governor Abbott's um, school voucher bill. Was this uh, during the school day at the school? Where this- it was definitely at the school. It was probably, I don't know, 6 o'clock at night or something. At a school-sanctioned event where they're, they're saying here, we're, we're doing this at the school with school leadership. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sounds like uh, at least it's questionable as to whether it's a violation of state law. Uh, Tony, again, it's Melinda, what was that? The State Ethics Commission office? Texas Ethics Commission. Yes. Uh, And they will look into it. And if applicable, they can impose fines for the election code violations. And then they also let the TEA know, which could end with the educator's certification being revoked. Tony, thank you. Have a good one. 512-836-0590. Gary White, the mayor of Burnett, is calling in on Mark and Melinda. Mayor, welcome back. How are you this afternoon? Well, you know, you guys, you you occasionally have those things that push my buttons, and that's the ones I call in on it. (laughs) You know, for uh, the school thing, you know, both my kids graduated, and congratulations to that gentleman who just called. Uh, whose kid was in the National Honor Society. And it's not all on the kid. That comes from the parents as well. Yes. Um, but I do want to say that it's, it's a simple thing, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be the mayor of a small town. I've done this. I've, I've been mayor here for seven years. You know, term limits are awesome. I was That's been a long time since I was mayor, but I'm in right now. But I will say this, is that you have to have a wonderful relationship between, I think, the city, and you have to have a relationship between the school. And the bottom line is, um, anybody, teacher-wise, if you got, if you have, let's just consider it principal, vice principal, and a management position, that that that's okay. And we're just going to kind of rub this under the cover, um, so so nobody gets in trouble. Well, then we've forgotten who's important, which is the kids. Mm-hmm. And you know, from from the city side, I mean, you know, we supplied what three of our four SROs over here. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the school is going to take that over. But we did that for a reason. And there was concern that, well, hey, we don't want kids to go to jail. You know what? I don't either. Neither anybody in my council want these kids to go to jail. But if you can't behave yourself in a, in, to a point where you do things do not, to not put yourself in a position to go to jail, and you have teachers that basically I'm like, ah, that's okay, you guys do what you want to do, and I'm going to bring something up that's okay, well, that's insanity. And I, me personally, this is just me, obviously. Uh, you know what? That teacher's got to be fired. The vice principal's got to be fired. And you have to look further upstairs because that doesn't just come down. That doesn't start at the middle management's part. That comes down from the top down. Well, and I mentioned the, the teacher being charged, but did the teacher get fired? I, I didn't see it. In I the didn't story. even see that she got fired over this or suspended or anything. We didn't see anything, any type of punishment towards the teacher for bringing swords to school. 
Sure, and odds are you probably won't see that. I'm sure there's some sort of we got to protect and make sure it's all private and whatever. But the bottom line is very, very simple. It happened, and she's putting her position out there, or he or I didn't hear it, he or her, it's her, is putting her position out there that I did this, and so apparently she thought it was okay. Well, where did that come from? Yes. Yeah. Good points, Mayor. Thank you so much for weighing in and uh, take care. Thank you. Mayor Gary White of Burnett, 512-836-0590. Join the discussion with Mark and Melinda. And now back to the Mark and Melinda show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. 533, good afternoon. Tiger is here producing. Thank you for joining us. 2,906 Texas public school teachers and staff members were assaulted by students last school year in Texas. Those are the numbers from the Texas Education Agency. News 4 in San Antonio has this story today. Let me give you that number again. 2,906 teachers and staff were assaulted by students last year in Texas public schools. Outrageous. I knew things were bad in the schools, Melinda, but I didn't know it was this staggering. It is outrageous, and unfortunately, while this is a higher number, this has been going on for some time. You look back at the 18-19 school year, you had 2,300-plus there. I would really like to see a comparison back in early 2000s, Uh, maybe even go into the 1990s or Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. because I bet the numbers are just extremely smaller than this. I I think as we continue to go on, we're just seeing more and more of the brazen act of these kids. And I'm going to say, sometimes helped along by the attitudes of the parents that think it's okay to have this kind of behavior in school. Yes. Uh, The parents are a factor. Uh, this idea throughout public schools across America that you keep kids in school no matter what, no matter what they do, you keep them in there. Restorative justice is a factor. It's all adding up to these staggering numbers. Yeah, and we keep hearing, um, especially the San Antonio, where you had the the teachers union there come out and say in regards to the – special needs instructor, Mr. Fred, who died, that this is about needing more money, more resources, uh, that funding for better equipment and and more training for the staff. I do not hear a call for, we need more accountability for these kids' actions. We need to do away with this restorative justice nonsense. And if you do something that deserves a punishment, you get said punishment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Here's a specific example. This is one case out of Indianapolis. 74-year-old teacher Rob Gooding, 74, says he was a substitute one day at a high school when a six foot two, 280 pound student gave him a terrible beating. He tried to beat him down with a Chromebook. The 74 year old man says, I blocked that with my forearm, but 
He was so powerful, it knocked me down. And as I was down on the ground, he started beating me with his fists. And the photographs of this poor 74-year-old man are are just terrible. Mm -hmm. Severe black eye over his right eye after the beating. And then he asked the school to call the regular police department. He said, I want to press criminal charges against this student. And they said no. Here's Rob Gooding, the 74-year-old teacher in Indianapolis, with more on that. He said to me, we have been instructed by the higher-ups, which is the district, not to handcuff or arrest the kid. And I said, what? And he said, yes, that came from the higher-ups. That was the school resource officer. We've heard from the higher-ups. You will not handcuff. You will not arrest. You will not report this kid who delivered a severe beating to the teacher. Well, he did report it. The The town police came out, took the report. They said that they sent it over to the DA. He said, but the DA has never gotten back to me. They have never looked into it. They haven't contacted me concerning this case. So it does sound like this poor guy is not going to get the charges that he wants. Yeah, and if, if you see the photographs... You, you, you have to question that district attorney. What is going through your mind? This is clearly a severe assault inflicted on this teacher. Elderly abuse? Yes. You could start there. Yes. Assault? You could start. I mean, there's so many charges that could be brought against this individual, yet everybody is covering for this kid. Here are the numbers, 512-836-0590, and it seems to illustrate a pattern that's occurring in far too many public Mm -hmm. schools, covering up or tolerating this kind of violence against teachers. Marcus is with us at 538. Mark and Melinda, good afternoon, Marcus. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How about you guys? Very well. Thank you, sir. All right. Hey, I wanted to, you guys were talking about vouchers um, earlier, and i I wanted to kind of throw out a differing opinion from a conservative that is is not <clears throat> usually portrayed in the media for whatever reason, but it's not. The, you know, school vouchers <clears throat> sound great, but the problem is that our, like our school system is basically uh, socialism and communism gone wrong. We the school systems, and I, I'm I'm not on the school board, but I know enough to be dangerous. The way that our the our school finances, everybody's school finances in Texas works, is that you have to pay into the system. You pay Texas, okay? Every single cent that you that you take for uh, school property taxes, you send that to Texas, and then by some sort of algorithm or something like that, they decide how much to send back to you. Um, Robin Hood, which has absolutely devastated a lot of school districts over the years <clears throat> because it basically it takes from the, the, the rich and gives to the poor. But also uh, the, the school voucher program, for the most part, that is a it's absolutely I'm telling you, it is absolutely. And it amazes me that not more people are like calling in and like like waving their hands and saying, golly, you guys need like kind of like at least give a differing opinion about school vouchers <clears throat> is that it hurts. It extremely hurts 
uh, rural and very good school districts. It hurts it because what happens is nobody wants to leave those good school districts. You send the money in, and then somebody in Harris County, Travis County, or <clears throat> Dallas-Fort Worth, they, you know, they tried to, um, or some of those people may want to um, transfer their students. All right, uh, Marcus, thank you. Have a good evening. Uh, the way the most recent version of parental choice was constructed, uh, even if a student were to leave a school, the school th- would still get money and additional money on top of that. $3,000 in addition to the already $7,000 state allotment per child. So you wouldn't be losing money if you lost a child. You would actually be making money. Yes, you would be coming out ahead. Uh, Joanne is with us at 541 on KLBJ. Good afternoon, Joanne. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Joanne. Welcome. Thanks. So um, I was calling in regards to, um, you know, students that are violent in um, the special education um, department or just I just think the school systems are just too lenient. I worked in and sped and I've seen many students who are violent not only to staff but also to other students and when they do something to another student they may be absent for one or two days but yet the student doesn't know if it's you know if what they're doing is right or wrong and um, I've had a student where they um, hit another student that wasn't in special education um, in a choir class, and the student was afraid. And yet, um, the student continued to be in choir, and the this normal student um, ended up transferring to another class. And yet, he would still continue hitting his classmates and other students, and he would still be. Um, going to school. He may be missing one day and then, you know, he would come back again. And so it's just, it's kind of disturbing that, you know, yet the school system is broken like this and letting students that are violent um, continue being in school when they should be, um, you know, going somewhere else. And it, it doesn't, and, you know, the other teachers would say, well, it's, you know, this is going on at home, but it's not, still, it's not excusable, you know, for them to be violent with other students and staff. No, no, it's not. And, and and we've talked about that, Joanne, that there should be a separate facility for students that are that violent and, and difficult to, to work with. They, they shouldn't be allowed to remain and inflict violence on the staff or other students. And I'm not sure that I, that I buy the notion that they don't know right from wrong. I, I, I think no matter what your disability is, you know it's not right to mm-hmm. hit or be physical with someone else. So yeah. I, I don't like that 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 may be considered their excuse. Oh, well, they don't know. I, I think they yeah. do. They do. Yeah, and like the one student, I mean, he was he was pretty smart and everything else. I mean, he would read and everything. I mean, he did, but it was just he wanted to react and be violent and and that's just not excusable that's not an excuse you know no matter what's going on at home um and it just it, 
the school system is, is broken in regards to violence and anything else is in regards to, especially with bullying too. I mean, like earlier from, um, from Lake Travis, I mean, it's just, that's just, it's just the school system is broken in regards to, um, wanting to protect. I feel like they're just protecting, like they're saying that it's okay to be violent and it's okay to bully and everything else because we don't want to hurt students feelings. Well, uh, thank you, Joanne. And that is, uh, a very dangerous attitude mm-hmm. to take, and it is uh, inflicting great harm on our public schools. You're seeing it, whether it's yeah. with the, the students or the staff, you're yeah. seeing it. All right, 544-512-836-0590. And now, back to the Mark and Melinda Show, streaming live on the News Radio KLBJ app. 548, Tiger is here producing, and Billy is on Mopac. Hi, Billy. Welcome. Hello, how you doing? Fine, Billy. Good afternoon. I just came down, but I, I heard some people saying that it was the districts, school districts were the problem with these students. The problem is there's a federal law that requires districts to, to provide what they call a free and appropriate education for these students, regardless of their disability, regardless of how violent they are. And that's, that's where the district's hands are tied and the teacher's hands are tied, because they're required to put them in a, in a regular classroom and provide all these services and even up to a, and including a full-time aid so that they get the same experience that the other rest of the children get. It's ridiculous. They need, to, they need to remove them, but it takes an act of Congress, literally and figuratively, to get them out of the classroom. We heard from a uh, teacher yesterday, if I recall correctly, she said that she and her team members travel from class to class following certain students throughout the day uh, and special ed students. Yeah, she's a behavior specialist. Many of the school districts have that now. And they have certain students that they they check in on a daily basis, weekly basis, and help those students. And they're usually students that are acting out, being disruptive, and they try to get them back on track. Right, but I mean defined back on track. I mean, not all, but many of these students, they're not really getting anything out of the classroom experience. And what what's really happening is they're, even with an A, they're disrupting the experience for the rest of the class. Yes, that's true, Billy. Uh, thank you for weighing in, Billy. Have a good one. 512-836-0590. And I think that that's the frustration with a lot of educators when it comes to um, the state making the laws in education, you've got many that have never even set foot outside of them attending school when they were younger, knowing how the school operates. And when you make these laws where you say you have to have them integrated into the regular classroom, while that may seem like the right thing to do, it's not always the appropriate thing to do because not every child can handle that. 512-836-0590. Also in the news today, the New York Post is reporting on a new law that's taking effect in California. Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, signed it in September, and it raises the minimum wage of fast food workers from $16 an hour to $20 an hour for some, but not all, fast food restaurants in California. And one exemption in particular is drawing a lot of attention now, Melinda. Yeah, I remember when this was being signed into law there in California, we talked about um, 
the one of the exemptions, and the exemption had to do with bread, of all things. Uh, if you bake bread, this didn't apply to you. And I know we were sitting here trying to figure out what the heck does bread have to do with anything? <laughs> if you're a business that's above whatever, if, if you're going to apply that to everybody else, it should be applied even if you bake bread. Um, but it was included, and now we're finding out pretty much the reason why, and that's because old Newsom is buddy-buddy with the billionaire that owns Panera Bread, which is exempt from this because da-da-da-da, they bake bread. Yes, and uh, Flynn uh, has made donations to Governor Gavin Newsom, $164,000, but Flynn told Bloomberg News he played no role in creating the bread exemption from the higher minimum wage law. And Newsom says, look, it's just part of the sausage making of politics. That's the way these things go in politics. As in you grease the hands of those that are greasing you or something <laughs> like that. Uh, listen, they went to the same high school. They've known each other for a long time. Perhaps Mr. Flynn didn't say, hey, you need a bread baking exemption. But I'm sure he planted the seed to where it could be, oh, I can make a carve out in this manner. And it's there. Mm-hmm. And it's in the law. Uh, let's go to Amy at 553. Mark and Melinda, good afternoon, Amy. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Great, Amy. Welcome. I just wanted to comment on the the, the teacher that was in Indiana that got assaulted, the older gentleman. Yes. Yeah, 74 well, years I, old, yes. Yeah, I think that's that's a really tough situation, and I just wanted to relay that, unfortunately, I had to deal with that with my, my child in school who was assaulted by another student, um, the school district would not address the issue. And as a parent, I had to press charges against another young person. Um, it was a very frustrating situation, but that's how we had to handle it. So, How did that work out? Well, we, you know, we weren't told about what happened with the other child, but uh, it helped my child to feel more safe in school. Um, and that's one of the biggest issues that we face today is, safety for our kids yeah so you just went to what the local police to press charges and let them handle it did the school ever handle it at all well the school had a an officer in on campus and we went through them to to press charges so but uh you don't know if the school did anything in terms of punishing no, my son reported back that he did not see that child again. So I assume that he went to some, you know, had had some school. ramifications. Yeah. And did it happen there on school property during the school day? Yes, and it it was unfortunately in you know like a choir class. I think some another caller had spoken about something like that, and uh, I guess you know some some classes don't seem to have as much uh, attention on some of these kids that need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we hear that frequently, all too often now these days, Amy. Thank you very much. Uh, have a nice evening. 512-836-0590. You can call, you can text to join the conversation. Uh, President Biden was in Brownsville today. Here's a little sample of part of what he had to say. He was pushing again for Republicans to reconsider and get on board with that uh, Senate bill that was produced by the four senators dealing with border issues and immigration. 
Here's part of what the president said in Brownsville. With this deal, we could hire 1,500 additional border security agents, 1,500 additional officers, and between ports of entry. For the last four years, staffing has been roughly that, flat. And uh, one more from President Biden in Brownsville. Here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me. Or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. So this will be a theme from now until Election Day. Biden wants people to believe he's the one that wants to secure the border. He can he can try to flip the script. Those that have been paying attention know what's really going on. That's an incredibly difficult sell, isn't it? Because... Trump's number one issue from the time he went down the escalator was build a border wall. He was Mr. Border Security, and he backed it up while he was in office. That, that's an incredibly difficult sell to the American public. Well, and it's not genuine because he's trying to tell you that the Republicans do not want border security. That little bill, and I don't care if Republicans helped craft it, there wasn't security in it. And so to say that Republicans are against securing the border now, well, how about you you vote on the bill that was sent to you from the House that had some security in it? And then let's take that up. If you're serious, where's Schumer calling for that bill on the floor of the Senate to get a vote there? Why aren't they all on board with that? Why aren't they trying to say, okay, here's the structure for security. We can add some of this other stuff from the Senate bill that was tossed out that we like, and let's make it a robust and just fill all of the the holes that need to be filled. Allowing 5,000 illegal crossings a day, every day, before you think about shutting it down is not our idea of border security. You should not allow for any illegal entry, period. That'll do it for Mark and Melinda today. We're here every weekday, 2 to 6, live and local. Have a fabulous evening. Tiger and Kyle, great job. The news is next. Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals, bringing patients relief at last. And we're able to tune this device to mimic that frequency and essentially block it. I've seen people shed tears of joy in the recovery room when they wake up from their light anesthesia and we turn this device on and they realize their back pain is gone. They cry for joy. Advanced Pain Care at 512-244-4272 or austinpaindoctor.com.